Hello, and welcome to the inaugural episode of our For the Record podcast, where we take one album that we've been listening to a lot lately that was recently released in the past few months and talk about it in a bit of detail. So for this episode, we're going to talk about Hamilton Lighthouser's Black Hours, which is his first solo album after being with The Walkman for over a decade. Um, they put out a number of albums, and so... Um, we also thought it would be a good opportunity to discuss because we saw him perform last night at the chapel um, on Valencia in San Francisco and he was pretty great. So, yeah. So, uh, you know, I'm coming into this from a, the perspective of someone who was not necessarily a huge Walkman fan had heard a couple of the big hits, but uh, coming in, I guess is the, the newbie to Hamilton's uh, work, but certainly this is an album that I think has grown on me. Uh, definitely. All right. Let's just say our, uh, test podcast recording. I had just started listening to it and was very skeptical. And there's still elements to it that don't totally work, but it's it's really grown on me. I think the song, a lot of the songs are really strong, and I think it the album actually works as an album. I think feel like there's an actual flow to it. He makes an opening statement. Uh, there's really a sense of a first half of the album and a second half of the album, and I think s- some kind of touchstones uh, that either match or kind of counterbalance each other between those and i think it comes in on a strong note ends on a strong note and i was pretty happy with the getting the chance to listen so i think the most notable thing about it that you notice right at the outset is he's clearly trying to make this sound like it's not a walkman album and so he layers a lot of strings and orchestral arrangements and um he he kind of intentionally strays away from the walkman sound in a way that doesn't entirely work for me but um just as as an example um we're gonna play you this is how the album starts out at the very beginning from the first track listen the summer's coming So I think that track is actually a good way to set up what he's trying to do here. And if you look at the album art, um, it's kind of like he's looking over his shoulder and smiling. And it's kind of a very Sinatra-y black and white photo. And it it actually, I think, sets up the album well in terms of it's a very kind of cheerful photo. But the album is called Black Hours. And there's, you know, kind of one of the central thematic songs is called Self-Pity. And there's a lot of dark elements to it um, to contrast with that. But um I think that first track really sets up what he's intending to do here. Yeah, and it's it's a bit of a mixed bag because I, I think it's such a, you know, certainly a backwards-looking sound, but definitely distinctive. And as you say, trying to set a marker like, hey, I'm not in this other band. I'm doing my own thing now. But I feel like it's definitely not a consistently applied uh, phenomenon. I think a lot of this sort of as the album goes on, it kind of becomes a much more conventional pop album. Uh, but it's certainly good to start off on this note. And and I was going to say that's it's funny. Um, he I listened to an interview where he's being and he's being um, interviewed by Carrie Brownstein a couple days ago, and he talks about how yeah every time I pick up a guitar it sounds like you know me and the it sounds like the Walkman. 
Um, so he's trying, definitely making an affirmative decision to try and get away with that. But at the same time, when we saw him last night, he's been touring this album with, in some places, a 16-piece band with all of the full orchestra and everything else. And uh, when he played last night, he said it's the smallest group he's had. It was just a four-piece. And one guy was a really talented multi-instrumentalist. He did lead guitar very well. And then he also did piano and... Um, xylophone and their drummer was great but anyway um my experience coming out of that show last night was that wow that sounded like um a walkman performance and i actually think it's a little more effective i i would like to have a record a live recording from that show that i think might be better than this album but anyway um my point being that then as as adam said he kind of starts out with this sonatory sound and then very quickly goes into kind of a more traditional walkman sound yeah i it was good though because i think when i first especially when i first couple listens and it just seemed like this is almost gimmicky like oh let me throw some more strings like and you know to hear the song stripped down and like okay these are you know good solid songs sung by a guy with a heck of a voice and I think the gimmicks are fun, but maybe a distraction from the music a little. And and I think that's worth noting in particular that you maybe don't get from this album, or if you've never seen the Walkman live, it may not come across that he has an incredible voice. It's very powerful and it's very intense. And um, so I think he does let it shine on this album a little bit more. And one of the track we're going to play next is um, kind of, indicative of that he opened with this at the show last night and i think it's the strongest song on the record and it's called i don't need anyone and so we're just going to play a little bit of the middle here Yeah, that definitely, I think, come out of the first listen of the album, this is the song that is just, it's the anthem, it's uh, got this amazing kind of cynical edge to it, um, you know, I don't need anyone, and, but at the same time, you know, there's a sweetness to it, because of course it's in the context of he's trying to convince himself of that and kind of failing, and with just this sweeping sonic scope to it and it's you know much more traditional pop sound <laughs> or i guess anyway but uh it's not as gimmicky and it's really solid um and i think i would i would say this is kind of the anchor of the second half of the album and i think we'll kind of go back to the first half a little bit but just and speaking of gimmicky, um, that was, I think, one thing that causes Adam to flinch every time we listen to this album is um, there's a part, there's another really anthemic song on the album called I Retired, which I think is, I I, I get the impression that he feels is the best song on the album, um, just because of the way that I've seen um I've seen him talk about it or, or read about read him talking about it in interviews and so forth. Um, and it is a really great anthemic song, but then he goes into this. Um, I, I think we should just play it so that you can get the experience. Um, it starts out as kind of a traditional, very Walkman sounding song. And then we go through this progression and we're going to play it here. Oh. 
When he played it live, that shooby doo I think, is so gimmicky and just really derails the song. And pl- hearing it live without that was so much more effective. And this is actually an interesting counterpoint, maybe, that, you know, I can't hear it on the album and not just laugh. I mean, several listens in and it just every time, just you've got to be kidding me. But it's I, I think it's a very earnest album. And it provides a, a little bit of a necessary bit of humor and a kind of like, okay, I'm, I'm not taking myself too seriously here. And, uh, and, and, you know, not just that, but even like listening to him when I keep, keep that train rolling and there's definitely, I hear that sort of, that there's a joke in his voice. Like he's kind of, there's some laughter there. And I, I think the album kind of needs that and hearing it without that, the song felt a little, uh, you know, of all, the, and I and I was shocked that I felt this way because it is the gimmick of all gimmicks on the album, and yet, um, he tried to get the crowd, I think, to get to come in on it, and nobody was there, and I, I felt I'm not going to be the only one going shubadua on this album, even with his invitation, uh, or on this song, but uh, yeah, but in retrospect, like I should have just belted it out because the song was missing it, and yeah, I think that's that the humor that it brings is is there's not a lot of, of that kind of lightness. I think there's sort of hope coming out of sort of cynicism and saying like, hey, let's find hope, not despair here. But there's not that just sense of like, hey, let's goof around, and and I, it's nice to have a little of that on the album. And I think I mean I think the album as a whole is a kind of the sound of a solo artist trying to find his own sound. A, a, separate from this band that he's been a part of for so long. And, you know, there's going to be some uh, amount of throwing things at the wall to see what sticks. And so I find, I forgive it for that. Yeah. And yeah, I, I've, I've grown to love it, but uh, yeah. So I, I feel like this song and I don't need anyone really are kind of the two songs that define the second half of the album. And uh, I think, you know, I wanted to maybe go back and just, talk about uh one of the things that is so dominant on the album is the fact that his voice is absolutely up front and center as makes sense for a solo artist but even with most of the songs that's the very first thing you get maybe a couple drum beats and boom his voice kicks in you heard that on the first track that we played the opening and i think that's true on a number of the the songs on this album uh and so i think i'm going to play a bit off of um track 11 uh or sorry track 4 11 o'clock uh friday night and uh that's a song that uh breaks the pattern in the way that it opens 
And so it starts in again with the multi instrumentalism and the xylophones coming in, and it kind of fades in, and then we'll just let it go from here. Yeah. I, I appreciate that on an album that's otherwise so vocally dominated, and I think it's kind of interesting that I, I feel like this sort of defines coming into the middle of the album that there's that, uh, and then as well, uh, the, tra- the track "Self Pity" that you mentioned, track six, uh, actually starts with uh, I think about 45, you know, the better part of a minute of just wind leading into instruments, and I think it's a nice change of pace, but. Maybe a little overkill, so we'll just hear that wrap up uh, just to give you a sense of a taste of what that's like. exemplifies the one facet of the album that has that kind of Sinatra old tiny sound and then you contrast it with the next track we're going to play Alexander which is my personal favorite on the album and um it's very uh just very energetic and joyful and bold and it reminds me a lot of um Cecilia by Simon and Garfunkel which will be obvious when you hear it Um, But it's just played with so much energy and when he played it live last night He just had an acoustic guitar and he was just you know his voice was really in top form and it's just such a um, It's kind of the up where the that's the counterpoint to the album's down phases and so um, We'll play that part next definitely um you know i think the the first the first like lively song i think the first two songs are pretty mellow and this is the first one where they pull you know he pulls the stops out um but i definitely again just you know i keep harping on this feeling of this the sort of idea of the first half and the second half being kind of mirror images of each other and that i think of this one you know that he's jumping in there um so, like, give me a signal give me the he's looking for the green light it's like he's looking for something a reason to go ahead and then i compare that with sort of the mirror image i don't need anybody i don't need anyone of he's like i don't i he's trying to convince himself you know for reasons to say no and here he's con- trying to convince himself reasons to say yes and i think it's a nice kind of balance they're both these anthems uh this one more kind of you know, and again, I think musically a little more positive, even as the message is, uh, you know, a little more hesitant. And then uh, I don't need anyone seemingly negative, but really, I think more a, a wiser take on the same situation. Uh, but, 
yeah, maybe I'm reading too much in, but that's definitely how I've, I kind of see the album as these two halves balancing each other. Oh, I think that's a good summary. And, um, you know, I, I don't have any, anything else to add to that. I agree 100%. Um, except that I just really love this album and, you know, I'm more of a pop maximalist. So I really like the joyful noise with all of the instruments thrown in, but I think it all works together and you need the, um, quieter points to balance out the exuberance. Um, and so I would really recommend this album. And I also think it's an interesting counterpoint to listen to this in conjunction with um, the new Peter Matthew Bauer solo album. And he is the uh, bassist and organist for the Walkman. And they both came out with solo albums around the same time. And his is called I Was Born in an Ashram. And it's um, very different, but very interesting. And you can hear, um, you can really hear the history of both of these guys and their time in the Walkman that come through in their solar efforts. So um, anyway, I think it's great. Yeah. I, you know, I was not a Walkman fan necessarily coming into it, but, you know, listened a few times for the podcast uh, and it has really grown on me. And, you know, it's, I think some of the, uh, it definitely makes me want to go back and listen to the Walkman catalog now. Um, but, you know, they were always on that, oh, I'll get around to them list. And now maybe they should go to the, oh, I'm actually going to listen to them list. Um, but definitely, you know, I think we're talking about the, uh, you know, I said that sort of these high points. And I think I saw the, the very last track on the album, The Smallest Splinter, was one that I think kind of crept up on me that the first, you know, couple times I just, I didn't quite realize how strong it was. Um, but I think it's what was interesting to me is the extent to which it just sort of slowly builds. And I, I think just sort of sonically is very as a nice counterpoint to I don't need anyone. Like I feel like to me, they sound just really kind of cut from the same cloth, uh, different lyrical content, but um, that the, the way it builds is really strong and a strong way to end the album. And I, I, speaking of the lyrical content, I think this is the most personal of all the songs on the album. And, um, you know, he, as a songwriter, I think tends to speak in more generic terms, but this is one that really rung true. And if he hasn't been in a relationship with somebody for many years, I would be surprised because I think this really expresses a lot of feelings that you can't really get until you've been through that with someone. Um, and, you know, I think it really sews up the album in a nice way. Yeah, so we're going to leave you with just a, a little sample of that and just see how it kind of builds on itself. And the, the, cor the chorus builds, and then the verse just doesn't release that energy. And then when the chorus comes back, it just builds more. And it's, it's a really strong finisher. So uh, thanks for listening, and uh, go check out the album. Show me the